Um, this is a, a Sunday in-between series. We just finished up a series called The God Questions last week, starting a brand new series uh, next week called I Love My Church. We're going to be talking about what the church is and God's plan for the church. So this is our in-between Sunday. And um, I wanted to tell you, if you've got your worship guide, once you turn on the back of that, you can see our worship order for the day. It's going to be a little different around here today, okay? Instead of me preaching in one big block, I'm going to actually be preaching in different spots throughout the service, and we're going to be talking about our family. That's what we are, by the way. We are a faith family. We are a church together that God has called. Once we were no one, just like the scripture says, once we were not a people, but now he has called us to be God's family together. And so if you're new here, let me just tell you. We, uh, we've, uh, we, we've, we've had this church, we planted this church about 15 years ago, and um, we've been in a lot of different buildings, but in the last year, 2015, we built this property here, and this, is our, this was our new home. Now, we bought the land in 2005, and it took a little while because a, a, an economy collapsed underneath us, but then we built this building, and now we're building, a, we're working on the youth lodge in the back. During the last year, we've had the land become available next door, and, and our congregation generously responded, and we purchased all the land next door, doubling our campus size. And most importantly, we are so excited about this place that God's called us, this season, this time, and this geography, this community that God's called us into. So while we were building the building, uh, we had some fun with um, getting ready to call this new place our home. Some of you have seen this, and some of you haven't. We're going to open up our worship service today by showing you a video we, uh, we made while we were building our building that kind of celebrates that this is our home. And then right after that, we're going to dive into some worship together. So, hey, let's start with a word of prayer. Would you do that with me? God, we are here for you today. We thank you for calling us today into this place, into this body, where we can just kind of put the world on pause we can just put all the distractions aside, all the, all the stuff that might be on our agenda for this week, and we can come to a place today to just focus in on you, hearing your voice for our lives. And Lord Jesus, we invite you, a simple prayer this morning, we invite you the way that you spoke your voice on that seashore of Galilee, or the way that you stood on the temple steps and you taught, would you speak to us today? Would you mold us and shape us and call us? Would you speak to our hearts, Lord? We are here not to sing songs or, or hear a nice, cute message. We're here for you. We want a moment with you today, Jesus. So I just pray we invite you. Come, Lord Jesus, meet with us. This is our prayer. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen, church? Amen. Yeah, it's going down. We're about to live it up, y'all. Let's go! It's a big world, and now we're loving this town. It's our turn, so put your hands up. We on the big screen, and everybody's here living out our dreams. Dreams, whoa. Yeah, yeah. Been a long day. I know that you've been working hard, but it's okay. Can't wait to get it started. Let's do it our way. We don't really care about what they say, what they say Don't be scared, take a chance, come on, give me a hand It's time to laugh, time to smile, now let's get up and dance Come on everybody, let's live it up, let it out if you can't get enough This right here gon' make you jump, jump, jump This is home, this is the place We 
down Good life was coming with Bad times we laughing now Good times we living now Smile now it's going down Put it on replay, watch this I turn now. it up right now That's what's up right now This is it right now Whoa. A place to grow right now A place to breathe right now People come right now Never leave Not to smile right now Different styles right now We're feeling good Stand and rise and sing, if it's possible. Let's sing our voices to the heavens. And a little bit of dancing. I'm coming back to the start where you found me. Coming back to your heart. Now I surrender, take me. This is all I can bring. Hey. I'm coming back to the start. Our God is freedom. And here we feel your heart, your heart beats for us, take me, this is all I can bring. You never stop loving us, no matter how far we run, you never give up on us, overhead and a shout, let the future begin. The future began. Take me. This is all I can bring. Hey, hey, hey. You never stop loving us. No matter how far we run. You never give up on us. All of heaven shout, let the future begin. You ready for the future? Are you ready? I can't hear you. 
on God's great dance floor, right? Hey, we're going to have moments of worship throughout this whole service when we come back to song, uh, but this morning I'm going to be sharing with you in little snippets a little bit about who we are. And, um, and so, if you have your message outline, I want to invite you to grab that and grab your pen, and I'm going to be uh, sharing the first part of my message right now, and then we're going to sing some more, and then I'm going to share a little bit more, and then we're going to sing some more. But what I want to share with you today is about our family values. Now, we are a family. We are a faith family. And every family has values, whether they write them down and they try to live them out or not. Every family has values. As a matter of fact, if you have that outline in front of you there, on the very top of it, right up there where it says family values, would you just write down three words for me real quickly? It's not really in your notes and it's not going to be on the screen. The three words at the very top of your outline, just write these three words down. Values determine behavior. And when, I was, when God called me to come to this Henry County area when I didn't know a soul years ago, and God called us to plant a church here, one of the first things I asked God in my prayer time was, what is this church supposed to do, and how is it supposed to act? Now, recently I was teaching about that doing and acting to a New Connections class, and some folks came up to me and they said, you know what, this would be awesome to teach to the whole body. And I said, oh, that's a good idea. And then later on, our worship design team said, hey, you know what, why don't, we, why don't we go back and focus in on our core values? That's what we're doing today. We're going to talk about the values that determine our behavior, right? Every value, every behavior you have is determined by some value, okay? So you can say all you want that, hey, I value being a, a healthy person. I, I want to I be fit. And then if your behavior says that you're going by and getting a Big Mac every day, you really don't value being fit, right? Your values will determine your behavior. Now watch this. And by the way, if you've been here for a long time, or if you've been here a short amount of time, or if this is your very first Sunday, what I'm talking about here today is who we are, all right, and who we want to be, who we are becoming. And so um, what I want to talk to you about today is something that um, God put in place in our church, kind of the rebar of our church years ago. And I like to say it like this, when we were five years old, we were trying to live out these values. When we were 10 years old, think about a 10-year-old for a minute. How much can a 10-year-old do, right? A 
A 10-year-old's got a language. A 10-year-old's starting to act a little bit like mom and dad, even though they still throw a fit every once in a while. They're a 10-year-old. They're really learning. They're, they're in a family. And so when we got to be 10 years old, we were starting to own these values a little bit more, and we were letting them shape our behavior. Now we're 15, right? 15. 15 is not really an adult yet, are they? Right? No. Uh, but 15-year-olds are, are learning a lot about maturity, and they are growing up, right? They're not mature yet, but they're, they're, they're growing in maturity, and that's who we are right now. But here's the goal. When we're 20 or 25 or 30 or 35, when you cut us, we would bleed these values. We believe these are biblical values that determine how we act and how we behave around this church, okay? So I'm going to share a few with you right out of the gate, and the first one is, uh, by the way, invites you to fill in the blanks. We value anointed biblical teaching. We value anointed biblical teaching. Now, when I first got here and we started these, uh, these, uh, these core values, um, I wanted people to memorize them. I wanted to know what they were. And so that first one it has to do with the Bible and God's Word and how we live according to God's Word. Notice every, every core value is going to have a statement behind it. So we value anointed biblical teaching as the catalyst for change in individuals' lives and in the church. Now, I want to talk about that for a minute, but before I do that, about three years in the life of our church, I would say, now, what's core value number one? What's number one? What do we believe number one? And people would never say, anointed biblical teaching. They wouldn't do that, okay? So about year number three, I started putting some G words, what I call G words with every one of these, and there is a G word for every one of these values. You might want to write in your margin. Here's the G word for number one. We value God's Word. We value God's Word. I'm going to put this right over here on the side. As the catalyst for change in individuals' lives and the church. Now, where have you heard that word catalyst from? Anybody tell me where you heard catalyst from? Huh? Chemistry. I heard it. Somebody whispered. Chemistry. You learned it from chemistry. And let me just remind you of what we did when we were in high school and we went to chemistry class, okay? In chemistry class... When, when you were learning about all the, the atomic elements and, and, the, and the periodic table and you were learning about all the way these things interact, oftentimes you'd, you'd get a little flask, you'd put some stuff in it, and then you'd go put it over a flame. Now that flame was the catalyst, okay? Now we used to get a little thing called a Bunsen burner. Do you remember? I don't know whether you had a Bunsen burner or not. I had a Bunsen burner. And so you'd turn the gas on. Why did they let us do this in high school, by the way? It's crazy. But we would turn the gas on, and we would do our little clink, clink, you know, and that thing would flame up, and then you'd put that stuff over it, and the heat and the flame would begin to cause an interaction, a catalytic change in the, the stuff you put over top of it. Now, what are we saying in this core value? We value God's Word, anointed biblical teaching as the change agent, as the catalyst for individuals' lives, that's you and me, and the church. So how do we live that out? Did you know that every week one of my jobs is to stand on this platform, or whoever preaches from this platform, the preached word, the job is simply this. Take the Bible. I'm going to bend my Bible kind of like a Bunsen burner for a minute, okay? Take the Bible and then go, ching, ching, you know, get the flame going and, and put whatever we're talking about over that. So if we're talking about family, today I'm talking about the church. What does this church look like and act like and how do we behave? We put that over there. If we're talking about finances, the job of the preacher is to take the Bible and let the Bible be the catalytic change agent over whatever we're talking. By the way, what does that mean? 
that means it's not my opinions, it's not somebody else's opinions, it's not the, the American poll system, which is crazy, right? What do we believe? What is number one around here? God's Word. God's Word is number one, and we believe it is not a catalyst, it is the catalyst for true change, for true transformation in individuals' lives and in the church. But by the way, that, this is a value that we don't just believe uh, happens in adult corporate worship. This should happen in every small group. The Bible should be the core of what we're studying, and we should let the Bible be the catalytic change agent. Right now, while you adults are in this room, our children and our youth are in another room, and they're studying God's Word. We want God's Word to be an anointed biblical teaching that happens in every one of our classes, in every one of our small groups, because we believe it is the catalytic change agent for individuals' lives and in the church. So real quickly, let me see if you were paying attention. What's core value number one? God's Word. I'm going to give you seven G words that that are really the values that we're all about here. So number one is God's Word. By the way, we didn't make anything else number one, because if you don't get God's Word right, everything else can get skewed, can go off plumb line. It won't be level, right? But if God's Word is the foundation of what you're trying to be as a church, then everything else can be balanced and in order, right? So number one, God's Word. Number two, write this one down. And this one already, the G word was already there. We value grace. We value grace. And what is the, uh, what's the statement that follows that? And we care about lost people. We love lost people. We are after lost people. We value lost people. We believe God values lost people, and we believe that lost people ought to matter to the church. Now, let me tell you, this is very personal for me, because when God called me to plant this church, can I tell you that I was pastoring a very, very successful, large, growing church? And one of the things that we were not doing is core value number two. We were really not loving God's lost things. We were seeing a lot of people come to church because they were wanting to be fed. They were Christians, but they weren't going out and bringing other people. They weren't reaching other people. And we were eating and, and going, to, going out to eat and, and, and going have fun and having people. We, all of our friends were Christian. But when you look at the ministry of Jesus, Jesus wasn't hanging out with the religious folks, right? Jesus wasn't hanging out with the temple folks or the church folks. Jesus, Bible says he was a friend of sinners. He was hanging out with lost people. And so when God called me to plant this church, one of the things God had to do was change my heart. God, here's how God did it. God said, do you realize that I have a deep heart for some lost things out there and you don't seem to care anything about them? God took me to Luke chapter 15. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn there. I'm not going to read from there this morning, but God took me to Luke chapter 15, a powerful, powerful chapter in the Bible. It was life transformative for me. Because in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells three stories. That's the whole chapter. He tells three stories. The first story he tells is about a guy who had a hundred sheep and he lost one. You remember that story? And the second story he tells is about uh, about a woman who had ten coins and she lost one. You remember that story? She searched her house. She was looking for her lost thing. And that last story was about a dad who had two sons. Remember that one? And he lost. And you know what I started realizing? I started realizing I don't think it's by accident that right here in one chapter, Jesus is saying, I've got some lost things. And what did the shepherd do that lost the one? He went out and looked for it. He left the 99 that were safe, went out and looked for it. What did the woman do that had 10 coins and she lost one? She turned her house upside down till she found it. And then she threw a party, right? And what did the, what did the father do that, that had the lost son? 
The father longed to have his lost son. And when his son returned home, he threw a feast because he was so excited. He said to his, to his older brother, he said, your brother was, was lost and he's now found. He was dead and now he's alive. We must celebrate. And you know what I realized? I realized that lost people matter to God and to a healthy, growing, biblically sound church, lost people ought to matter to us, right? So this is number two. Before we get to anything else we do as a church, this has got to be number two, that God's got some lost things out there, and that he wants us to be after their lost things. And let me say it this way, guys. It's a heart thing. It's a heart thing. So when I'm sharing about this today, ask yourself, is most of your time spent around Christ followers? Does your life reflect the life of Jesus where you're trying to actually be around people who don't know God and you're trying to win them for the kingdom and show them a winsome life filled with with love and grace in Christ Jesus? God has called us to be a church that values lost people because God values lost people. Here's our third value. Write this one down if you will. We value worship. Write that down. We value worship. Now, the G word I came up with was glorify. And the idea here, the picture, is of a person on their knees with their hands lifted high. And let me tell you about worship. I love worship. Um, I love to glorify God together. I love to do it when I'm in public like this with everybody else, but I also love to do it when I'm in private. So notice that there's a, there's a kind of duality of this worship value. The duality is worship is a lifestyle expressed two different ways. It's expressed with private consistency and corporate vibrancy. What does that mean, Stephen? That means, here's the deal. Here's the idea behind worship, glorifying God. The idea is that you were created to be a worshiper. God made you that way. All of your life you've worshipped something, right? But God made you to worship Him. And so the goal is that you would be every day worshiping Him. You don't have to come to church to worship God, right? That every day you would be worshiping God and that you would be lifting him up. I don't care if you're driving down the road, heading in Atlanta, go to work. You're listening to some music or something or you're turning it off and you're talking to God and you're in prayer and worshiping him by your very lifestyle, right? Worship isn't something we go to. It's who we are. It is a lifestyle with private consistency and then corporate vibrancy. So here's the idea. Remember, I put these down on paper before there ever was a church. We didn't have a worship team to lead us and guide us. We didn't have that. And one day, I knew that we would, but the idea, let me speak to these guys who are lead worshipers for a minute, but the idea is that we would have every one of us learn to be what I call Davids, you know? Remember David in the Bible? David was, he would go out to tend his sheep, he would play his music, and he would worship the Lord. David got deep when David was all by himself. He was meeting with God out there in the pasture. And what would happen if every one of us lived life as a, as a David? Wherever you are, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you're finding ways to worship the Lord. Now watch this. Here's my idea. If every one of us is a David worshiping all by ourselves in our Monday, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays, what happens when Sunday comes along and you put a whole bunch of Davids together, you know? To me, it should be an explosion of worship. It ought to be exciting. I grew up in a church, by the way, where worship was far less than, I guess, that adjective, exciting. Okay? It was kind of boring. I remember getting good sleep during my home church, all right? We stood up and sat down, we said a few creeds, and, I, and the preacher preached for about four minutes. And that was, that was, that was worship. 
But can I tell you that, that I, my vision for worship for us as a church, remember values determine behavior. If this is really one of our values, then what we're going to learn to do is we're going to learn that every one of us is a lifestyle worshiper. And Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we are worshiping. And then when we come together, it ought to be one of the most powerful things because we've been waiting all week to get with our other Davids and worship the Lord together. One final thought. I love how these two are connected. Did you know that when lost people, when people who are not connected with God, people who are seekers or skeptics, or we'll even call them maybe the the unchurched or the de-churched, maybe they've even given up on God, do you know that if if ever they say they're going to give God another try, and if ever they come back into a church, don't you want them to come back into a church that's alive? Don't you want them to come back into a church where people are connecting in with God? Can I tell you this? This excites me. One of the most evangelistic things on the planet that can draw lost people to Christ is when they come into a place and they look around at other people and they say, wow, I don't know what's going on here, but this is real. This is legit. These people are having an experience with something that I don't have. Guys, that's the idea. Isn't that awesome? Amen. That's the goal. So what do we value, number one? Let me see if you were listening. God's Word. Also, we value lost people. Lost people matter to God, so grace has always got to be an important thing around here. And then worship, right? Worship is a big part, not just of what we do together. It's a part of who we are. We, it's our lifestyle. It's our calling. I ask this team to lead us in worship right now. I hope I've kind of challenged you a little bit about what it looks like to give your all in worship. And we're going to, for a couple of minutes, sing a couple of songs And we're going to lift up our hearts to God right now. Are you ready to do that, church? Hey, would you stand to your feet? We're going to worship together. And while you're doing that, while they're getting ready, why don't you do them a favor? Why don't you turn around and love on somebody for a minute? Shake a hand, hug a neck, welcome somebody to worship, and then look at them and say, I'm going to worship bigger than you are, all right? And let's give our best in worship. Let's declare His worth because surely He is worthy. Hey, Mark. Surrounded by light, you spread out through the sky, glorified and served to the ends of time. Lord, we pray that your glory will last forever, that your
You've opened our eyes And given us hope of life Sanctified Lord, our hearts are yours tonight Oh yes, we pray That your glory will last forever Oh it will That you're pleased with all that we have done Lord, your light, your light Awaken to love inside of me To change the world once and for all With all of my heart I will praise you, Lord I praise you Your life Awakens the love inside of me Yes, he has. Oh, Lord. He's changed. Pursue. 
never return. I come face to face with you. Like a tidal wave crashing over me, rushing in to meet me here. Your love is fierce, like a hurricane that I can't escape, tearing through the atmosphere. Your love is You chase me down. Yes, you do. You seek me out. How could I be lost when you have called me foul? You chase me down. You seek me out. How could I be lost when you have called me foul? You chase me down. You seek me out. How could I be lost when you have called me fail? Like a tidal wave crashing over me, rushing in to meet me here. Your love is fierce, like a hurricane that I can't Tearing through the atmosphere, your love is fierce. Your love is fierce. Oh my God, forever, for love is Over me, 
seat there close to you if you can. You know, God's love is not only fierce, it's everlasting. I was singing that song, I was thinking about the prophet Jeremiah when he gave us that phenomenally mysterious understanding that God has loved us with an everlasting love. I don't know about you, but I'm so glad God don't wake up and change his mind about me. You know, I wake up in a bad mood. You ever been there before? God never does that. How about this? He don't even wake up. That's right. Hallelujah, right? Thank you, Lord, for loving us so much. We just finished a series called The God Questions, and people wrote in questions. And I don't know whether you had a chance to read all those questions that I didn't get a chance to answer in the message series, but somebody asked, why does God make it so that we need other people? Why does God make it so that we, we know we need Him? Why do we need others? And it gave me an opportunity to say to them in that question and to say to anybody else who might read, you know, one of the principal reasons you're on the planet is to learn how to love. Uh, that's why God puts you here, to learn how to love. And you, you can't do that without somebody else. You need other people to be able to do that. And God wants you, remember, remember the two big ones? The guy came up to Jesus and said, what are the greatest commandments? Remember what Jesus said? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Get, get vertically in love with God. And then he said, love your neighbor as yourself. He said, love this way and love that way. That's what it's all about. Core value number three for us is we value community. Write that in that blank. And the G word is groups. We value community. That means that it's not about us four and no more. It's not about solo living. It's, there, there, are, there should be no Lone Ranger Christians, all right? Nobody's, even Lone Ranger had Tonto, right? Everybody ought to have other people, right, to go along in the journey. So we value community. Now, I want you to think about Jesus again for a minute. Jesus had a family, and in God's grand design, he births us into a family, or he gives us a family. But when Jesus started his ministry, Jesus didn't just talk to his brothers and sisters, you know, and his mom and dad and say, hey, I want y'all to help me go change the world. Jesus grabbed some other folks, and he said, hey, together, let's experience kingdom life, and together we can reach people, fish, the way he put it, fish for men and women, right? Groups matter. Groups. If you cut our church, did you know anywhere you cut our church, you're going to find groups? You're going to find groups of people, whether they're serving or whether they're growing, they're going to be in small groups of people. This team up here leading worship this morning is a group. The team leading our technology is a group. Our children are broke up into small groups, right, for their classes, not just because it's age appropriately right, right? We have groups everywhere. And we want everybody to learn the value of community. Now, notice what it says. We value community. 
And we believe that life change happens best not in large crowds, not in large crowds, but in small groups. You know, I look back across my life, and the moments that I have grown the closest to God, there has always been a small group of people who were in my life at that moment. I remember being in the University of Georgia during my freshman year, and I partnered up with some guys who were older than me. They were seniors. I was a freshman. And during that time, I saw so much spiritual growth, not out of a crowd setting, you know, with a whole bunch of other college people. It was out of a small group. I experienced that as a teenager, a small group, my youth group in my home church. I bet if you look back across your life, the greatest moments of your own spiritual growth, you'll always be, if you were just to put a little timeline there, where were my moments that I grew the most? Where were the moments that I felt the farthest away from God? Did you know that every one of those peaks where you were growing close to God, you can always find a small group of people? Jesus knew this, by the way. So when Jesus started his ministry, he grabbed a group of people and he invested in them. What's beautiful about a community of believers like that is that they shepherd one another, and yet they can receive shepherding from one another. And so in that small group, you're not, uh, you're not anonymous. You're not out of the crowd. They know you. They really, really know you. They know your faults, and they know your, your, your strengths. They know everything. They know your good times and your bad times, and together you are doing life together, doing life together. That's what that value is all about, doing life together. And so we want everybody in our church to get in a group. Some of those groups look like serve groups where they just, I mean, they come and they serve. They can be serving outside the walls or inside the walls. They can be ministering to youth. They can be, they can be serving coffee and donuts. Don't you like that team of servants, by the way? That's a group. I like that team. They're good. They had, um, they had uh, Krispy Kremes this morning, didn't they? Yeah. All right. So you can find a group anywhere. It can be a serve group. It can be a grow group. We've got them all over the place. But here's the deal. This value is we value community. And we believe life change doesn't happen best in the crowd. We believe it happens best in that little small group like Jesus did. When Jesus was, was leaving this world, he had impacted their lives so much that they literally changed the world. Aren't you glad that Jesus, even being Jesus, knew that he needed other people? right? Jesus knew that we were put on this planet to learn how to love. Hey, one final thought before I knew, yesterday I attended a wedding, and I was reminded of the first time God ever said something wasn't good. If you were at that wedding, maybe you heard the same thing. The very first time God said something was not good was before the fall, before the apple, before, before Satan even, you know, tempted Eve. God looked at a man all by himself, and he said, this is not good. He should not be alone, and he made a woman. God knows what he's doing, and that's why he puts other people around us. And so let me just lastly say this. Again, if you're kind of new to our church, or maybe you've been here for three or four or five months, you know what you're going to hear from us? We're going to keep beating the drum to say, get in a group, get in a group, get in a small group. Because why? We believe that's where life change happens the best. All right, fifth core value. Am I there? One, two, three, four. Yeah, five. Fifth core value, write this down if you will. We value gifts. You see, some of these G words were already made for me. That's what made them G words, right? We value gifts. Now, the idea here, we put a picture with every one of these. The idea here is a puzzle piece, but there's a fingerprint on your puzzle piece. And the idea here is that every one of us has gifts, and every gift matters. Now, you know there are a lot of people, they know God's given them some gifts, but they look at their gifts, and they look at somebody else's gifts, 
I was, I was watching Ricky up here play the drums. Y'all can't even see Ricky. Hey, Ricky! Ricky's back there playing the drums. I was watching Ricky play the drums, and I got to tell you, I look at Ricky and I think, I mean, the guy can flat play the drums. He really can. He's phenomenal. I tried to learn how to play the drums, and I couldn't do it, you know? I mean, it was too hard. It's too hard for me to learn. It's too hard. I didn't pay the price, Ricky. That's, that's the end of the deal, right? It's so easy to look at somebody else's gifts and then look at your gifts and, and devalue your gifts because you look at their gifts, you know? But can I tell you one more time? God gives gifts to all of us, and every gift matters. And so here's what we've said about this core value. We value gifts and operate as servants. That's who we are. Servants stewarding the spiritual gifts that God gives to all believers. So one of the things you're going to learn around this church is that we don't use the term volunteer, all right? Volunteer is not the language of the kingdom. Jesus said, if you want to be a Christ follower, you need to learn what it means to be a servant. I'm about to blow you away with this one. He actually used even a harder term that's very hard for us to hear. It's giving the connotation of American and uh, our American history. But Jesus said the language of the kingdom is slave. We are servants stewarding. We are slaves stewarding the gifts God's given. He's given us these phenomenal gifts, and he wants us to use them. Now, not like God is some kind of great taskmaster, okay? That's not it. God is a perfect heavenly father. Can I just speak to the moms and dads for a minute? Don't you know, don't you love it when you see your kids learn their gifts? And then when they get to operate in their gifts, you look at it and just, it makes your heart beat. You love them using and living out their gifts. I, I, I shouldn't pick on him. It's his first day in church here today. But there's a guy here, a young man named, in the eighth grade named Austin that, I, that I've just started training to kick a football. The boy is going to be a phenomenal kicker. He is, he's learning a lot. He's teachable. But can I tell you the awesome thing that I love to see? I love to see him doing what he loves to do, but I love to see his mama when she watches him kick. It's like I can just tell there's, she loves her son so much, and she wants him to be in a place where he succeeds, and he loves doing what he's doing. Every parent knows this feeling. Do you know what I'm talking about? This is our God. He gave us all these gifts and, and when I, you know, we even use the term, can we put that back up there, Fred? We use the term spiritual gifts. You know, I was a Christian for a long time and nobody ever taught me that I had spiritual gifts. We want to be the kind of church that helps you uncover your gifts. We want to even have you learn what your spiritual gifts are. And then we want to be like God, that when you begin to use those gifts, we stand back and go, wow, go ahead. Because every believer has gifts and every Gift matters. Every gift. So, again, how are you using your gifts? I guess that's the question for that core value. Have you devalued them? Have you thought that somebody's gifts are better than yours? Or would you be the kind of Christ follower who would hear what I'm talking about here today and, you know, you would say, you know what? I've got some gifts that I'm not using. Some of, you, some of you can do phenomenal things with technology. Some of you can change oil, and I can't even change oil in a car. And you could begin a whole ministry to minister to single moms. Some of you can do things I couldn't even dream about doing with, with machinery or, or other things, building stuff with your hands. There are so many things that people can do. Don't ever devalue your gifts because they can be useful in ministering and in building the kingdom of God. Amen, church? Amen. Use your gifts, discover your gifts, and would you allow us to be the kind of church that helps you, helps you 
learn, maybe even discover your gifts, especially your spiritual gifts, and then helps you develop those because they can grow too, right? Hey, we're going to take a moment of giving back to the Lord with worship through our tithes and offerings this morning. By the way, that's part of our giving, right? That's part of our gifts. So as we get ready to give to the Lord, I want to invite you to give your best this morning. Now remember this. Let's go back to this value for a minute. Here's the cool thing. Part of your gifts, the reason God gives you gifts, is He says to you, hey, I'm not going to come down there and just establish my kingdom. I'm going to use you to build my kingdom on planet Earth, all right? So God gave you gifts to do His work. You get that picture? And God gave us gifts. That's the same way. When we reach back in our, in our wallet, or those of you who have purses, or whatever, however you give, whenever we give, do you know what we're doing? We are participating with God in His kingdom work. That's what we're doing. Whether we're talking about a natural talent or skill, whether we're talking about a spiritual gift, or whether we're talking about time or talent or resources, we are participating with God in establishing his kingdom. So we're going to pray together. But every time we give, here's what we're praying. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for giving us gifts. You are a good heavenly father. And I pray, Lord, for the abundance of gifts around this room. You have given us so many talents and skills and spiritual gifts. Lord, help us to learn more about those and help us to value them the way you value them and help us to experiment with them and and run towards them, God. But most of all, thank you for allowing us to partner with you and your kingdom work. (laughs) You shouldn't really trust us, but you do. So Lord, as we give this morning and as we give of our time and our talents and our resources, We put them on the altar, we give them to you, and we ask you, God, be glorified through them. Use them so that your kingdom will be established and built up. This is our prayer, Lord. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. You're the God of this city, you're the King of these people, you're the Lord of this nation, you are, you're the light in this darkness, you're the hope to the hopeless, you're the peace to the restless, you are there. Is no one like our God. There is no one like our God. For greater things are yet to come, the greater things are still to be done in this city. For greater things are yet 
to come. Greater things are still to be done in this city. You're the God of this city. You're the King of these people. You're the Lord of this nation. You are. You're the light in this darkness. You're the hope to the hopeless. You're the peace to the restless. Oh, you are. There is no one like our God. Oh, yes. There is no one like our God. But greater things are yet to come. Greater things are still to be done in this. seat close to you there if you will. Just two more core values I want to share with you. Remember, values determine behavior, right? We're trying to learn 
what God wants us to act like, in order we, to learn what God wants us to act like, we've got to learn what values to really put in place that will live that out. Man, can I just pause for a minute? Greater things are yet to come. Our church is 15 years old. You know how many churches can't say that? They're 15 years old. It kind of gives us some excuse to, you know, not quite be old enough yet, but, but it, it also looks towards us growing up, right? Think of, those of you who are parents for a minute, think about all that happens from the time a kid's 15 to they're 25. Can you imagine the next decade of ministry for this church? Isn't that exciting? I mean, we're not going to graduate high school together or something, but, but we're going to see some phenomenal life change happen in our church over the next 10 years. So let's talk about this next core value, and that is go, all right? Here's the value, actually, I want you to write down. We value ministry. We value ministry and unleash the laity for works of service in advancing the kingdom of God. So the idea here is that when Jesus, last few things Jesus ever said on the planet was, I'm sending you. Go, therefore, into all the world, right? Go into the world. So this value is about ministry. Now, here's what I want to share with you. Did you know that a lot of folks go to church their whole life and they're never told, they're never told that God created them for ministry, that there's a work God wants them to do, that, that, the, that the ministry of the church is not owned by pastors or clergy or priests, but that the ministry of the church is God's people, that we are all ministers in the example of Jesus Christ. By the way, I didn't make that up. It's right there in the Bible, right? We are all ministers in the example of Christ. He's called us to be ministers for Him. So our goal is to unleash the laity for works of service. It's this, it's this metaphor. It's this picture of if you have a dream and God calls you to do a good work, we're not going to put you on a leash and hold you back and say things like, Oh, we've never done it that way before. I mean, you've ever heard, nobody ever says that, but, but yeah, they do, right? We're not going to do that. If you dream God's dream, if God says for you to do something, we want you to be free to run towards that dream. So this is the way we term it here at Harvest Point. We invite everybody to listen for, to look for, to sit with a burning bush. Do you remember the burning bush with Moses? When God called him away and said, this is holy ground, and God had a little meeting time one-on-one, and God said, I got something for you to do. Did you know that the big vision here, maybe you've never heard this before, listen clearly. The big vision here, the biblical understanding is that Moses wasn't special. God has done this with lots of different people. It, It happened to be a burning bush with him, but God met with people over and over again and gave them a task to do, and God would do the same with you. God's got something for you to do. And I like to say it like this, because somebody said to me, and it changed the way I looked at the whole deal, that thing that God's got for you to do, there's nobody on the planet who can do it like you can do it. So it's so important that you have a burning bush moment with God, and you let God give you a, a clarity on what He's called you to do. Let me tell you, my life has been filled with burning bush moments with God. I've had moments where God said, do this, take this, go this way. Burning moments where God spoke over me. Am I special? No. Am I called? Just like you are. I'm a minister just like you are. We're all called, after the example of Christ, to go and to do God's good work. So the calling is to go. And we want to unleash you to be able to go. 
Now, you might want to write this in the margin of your notes. It's not on a slide or something. I, don't, I didn't even really plan on sharing it. But here's how we want to do that as a church. We want to be what's called a permission-giving church. Permission-giving church, which means we don't want to unleash you. We don't want to say, hey, you can't do this. We actually want to give you permission to do the work of God. Go do it. Go do God's work. And here's how that works. If you get a vision, if you get a dream, if you have one of those burning bush moments and you say, hey, I think God's calling me to this, then we want to hear it. And then the next thing we're going to look at you and ask, we're going to ask a couple of questions, okay? We're going to ask, and who's going to lead that effort? Now, if you look at us and you say, well, I had the dream, but I don't know who's going to lead it. It's not me. I'm not a leader. Then guess what? We're not going to do it, okay? But if you can tell us who the leader is, then we're going to ask the second question. Can you start casting a vision? Let's see. A team of people can come around you, and they might dream that same dream. And guess what? If five, six weeks later you come to us and say, I cast a vision, nobody wants to do it, but I'm quite sure that God called me to do it, then we're not really going to invest in it yet until we must, we're thinking to ourselves, either the leader, God hadn't put the right leader in place, or God's not got the right timing on the people in place, but here's the deal. If you can show us a leader and you can show us a team of people who are hearing that same God call, then I think the job of the church, would you agree with me? I think the job of the church is to come along and to resource you, and to support you in it. This past week, I'm going to pick on her, she doesn't know I'm going to do this, but this past week I got an email, I got an email from Whitney right over here. Whitney, how long you been coming to our church? Since February, however long that is, seven months, close, uh, seven months, something like that. She's been coming to our church, Whitney sent me an email, and she said, you know, over here at Rocky Creek, we've got a school right next door, she said, over here at Rocky Creek, do you know there's kids that go, to, go home every, every weekend, they don't have food in their house? And she sent me this thing called Backpack Buddies. And she said, do you know that there's this thing called Backpack Buddies where we can, we can actually have the backpacks here at church. We give them to people in our church. They actually, on Friday or Wednesday or Tuesday, they go fill up food. And then they, we get it to that school. So that kid takes a backpack home and his book pack home. And he has food. He or she has food for the weekend. And Whitney said, what do you think about that? Whitney, you're in church today, so I'm going to tell you what I think about that, all right? I think it's awesome. I think it's a phenomenal idea. Who's the leader? <laughs> and if you're the leader, hallelujah. Because guess what? God said God must have spoke to you through the backpack buddies, buddy thing, you know? Now, you know what? Her job is not to just go out and do this by herself. We, we value groups, right? We value community. So we want Whitney to start casting that vision to other people. We want her to build a team of people. And then I think the church's job is when there's a leader in place, there's a burning bush moment, and there's a team of people who say, God's called us to do this. Our job is we ought to get behind it, support it, and get uh, and with all the resources we can. Would you agree? This is ministry. This is the value of unleashing the laity for works of service. Every one of you is called, and I pray you're going to have a burning bush moment where God clarifies that call, that vision, that ministry he's calling you towards. And then finally, write this one down. We value maturity. We value maturity. The G word here is growth. We value maturity. Now, here's the idea. You're going to start a young church, and we're a young church. I mean, being very honest and very frank with you, we're a very young church. But the idea here is that we wouldn't stay young, but that we'd grow up, right? The idea here is not that 20 years later or 25 years later, we've got a bunch of spiritual babies walking around. The idea here is that people are, people are growing up in Christ, 
They're getting stronger. They're getting healthier. They're building successful families. That's the idea of what a church really looks like. So we have said it this way. We value maturity and seek to develop fully devoted followers. The idea isn't halfway devoted followers or, or nominally devoted followers. The idea is fully devoted followers of Christ as the, can you read that word with me? What's the word? Norm. That, did, you, did you hear what I just said? The normal thing around here is that everybody grows up. It, now, now that's, that'd be kind of weird, right? I mean, what if you lived in a society where everybody stayed children? That doesn't happen, right? That'd be like, that'd be like Munchkinland or some weird Oz place, right? That's not, that's not life. God, we grow up, right? And, and the goal of the church is that we would grow up. Now, here's the goal, that the normal behavior of everybody who starts identifying with our church, that they would become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, that everybody would grow up. Not that you would, 20 years into our life, you'd look around and see somebody that was just a spiritual giant, and you'd go, wow, wonder how that happened, you know? You would, you would see that all over the place. You would see people becoming like Christ. Ephesians 4, I want to read this scripture to you because Paul is talking about this one moment, several moments he is, but Ephesians 4, he says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and pastors and teachers, he's talking about gifts, by the way, He's talking about ministry. He's talking about several of our core values here. So Christ himself gave apostles and prophets, evangelists, teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. That's the idea. Until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and becoming mature, growing up, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, let's last part. Then we will no longer be infants. Then we will no longer be tossed back and forth by the waves then we won't be blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. That's not us. But instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow, we will grow, we will grow, grow, grow. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head. That is Christ. So I like to say it this way. Um, we, we want you to grow. And we are even going to declare war on anybody who says, I don't want to grow, okay? That's not going to be around here. Around here, we want everybody to grow. Moms and dads, we want your kids to grow. Grandmas and granddads, we want your, your teenagers to grow. We want everybody growing up into Christ. So real quickly, recapping this, watch this. What's number one around here? God's Word is number one. It is the catalyst, not a catalyst, it is the catalyst for change in individuals' lives in the church. we got to keep dropping things over God's Word all the time. Secondly, grace. Lost people matter to God. Lost people ought to matter to God's church. They matter to us. And we've got to start living and, and grow to continue to live like Jesus, where we hang out with sinners, where we invest in them, and we show them the way to life. Glorify. We value worship. Not, it, not that it's something we go to. It's actually a lifestyle which is expressed two different ways, private, private consistency, corporate vibrancy. When we get together, a bunch of Davids, the roof ought to explode. It ought to be an awesome moment. We value groups because life change happens best not in the large crowd, but in the small group. We value gifts. Every, everybody has a gift. We want you to learn your gifts, develop your gifts, grow in your gifts. Your gift matters. Every gift matters. We value ministry and want to unleash the laity for works of service. And then finally, growth. We want everybody to grow up. This is our goal. It's not just our goal for us. It's our goal for our kids and our grandkids. And may it be so. 
that when we were 25 or 30 or 40 or 50, you'd cut us. And these values, we'd be a strong church. Strong church living out these values because we believe these are God's biblical values for our church. Amen? Amen. Hey, our children are going to come in, and we have a moment of Holy Communion this morning. Holy Communion is a sacred and holy time for us. And so if you're going to be serving Holy Communion this morning, would you actually come forward to one of these tables? And we're going to invite our children in and our teenagers in. Thank you. And while our children are coming in, and moms and dads, you might need to flag down your kids if they might not know where you're seated. Let me remind you here at Harvest Point, this is a, we practice intinction, so you'll get a little piece of bread, you'll have a chance to dip it in the juice and receive it. Many folks return back to their seats, some folks just create little altars all over the place, sometimes praying as families or couples. This is your time to meet with Christ, so you're very free to do whatever you want to do in this place. If you're kind of new here at Harvest Point, uh, we, have a, we have something kind of cool happening in our church right now. We have several special needs uh, folks, children in our, in our church. There's several of them. And um, what I think is really cool is we actually have several special needs, several, several special needs teachers in our church. And it looks like one of those moments where God's put some right people in the right place to minister to, minister to some awesome families. And so... Um, we're very blessed to have wonderful folks like that little boy back there right now. Okay. <laughs> so as I get ready to administer communion, let me just remind you of a couple of things. We are a United Methodist Church, but this is not a United Methodist table. This is God's table. People call this the Lord's Supper. This is not our table. It's not Harvest Point's table. This is the Lord's table. John Wesley called this the table of grace. He said young and old alike should be able to come to this table because in this table we meet Christ. So all are invited. You see, it's not our table. And Christ has invited all. So no matter where you've been and what you've done, this is a table of grace. It's a table of forgiveness. It's a table when we leave from this table that we're reminded that he's putting us back on mission no matter how much we've messed up. It's a table where God meets us. And though these wonderful folks are going to break the bread for you and have the juice for you, I hope as you receive this morning, you will receive from Christ because he is the one who gave us this table. On the night that Christ was giving his life for the world, he met with the closest of his friends and he reached across the table and took something that was just natural. He did this all the time. He took something very natural and he transformed it. He took a child. He took a seed. This moment, he took bread, and the Bible says he broke the bread, and he told them that his body would be broken for them. The Bible says he prayed a prayer of blessing over it, and then he passed it around the table, and one by one, they began to take from that bread. 
They probably didn't understand at the moment, but just in the next 24 hours, they would see his physical body broken for them. We remember the perfect shed blood and body of Jesus Christ poured out for us. So today, in the breaking of the bread, we receive his sacrifice once again. Would you pray with me and let's pray a blessing over this bread? God, we pray that you would take this bread and that it would be a blessing to us. Help it be for us a representation of the broken body that you, you broke for us. Forgive us, O oh God. And when we take this into ourselves, forgive us. Wash us clean. Meet with us. Remind us that we are broken, but that you are putting us back together. Thank you, Jesus. And then Jesus took a cup that was at the table. He held it up and he prayed a prayer of blessing over it and he began to pass it around the room. And he told them that this was a representation of the blood of a new covenant, a covenant of grace. This was the sinless Christ talking to them. And as they partook of that, we do in the same way today. Remembering this only by the blood of Christ that we're forgiven. Not by your good intentions or by your hopes. It is by the precious blood of the Lamb that we're washed clean. Here's my question for you. Why in the world would you get back in your car and head off this campus today without asking for forgiveness? Without being washed clean of the blood of Christ? It's here for you. This is His table. So as you come and you receive this juice, may you also receive forgiveness of your sin, and be washed clean. Would you pray a prayer of blessing? Father, thank you for the fruit of the vine. We partake of it this morning. It's a physical reminder of a very spiritual, deep thing that you have done for us. Wash us clean. Thank you for perfect blood poured out on Calvary for the redemption of our sin. We receive it today. We receive it today. Thank you, Jesus. We're so glad you're here today. Come to the Lord's table and may you meet with Christ.
Thomas. Hey, Zanita. I love you. God bless you. Tells me so. Mm -hmm. 